here today talking with BT Jones, and we're going to talk about several different things uh, throughout the evening. Uh, this is a, the first one of our bear state tales, and one of the reasons I wanted to pick BT was BT actually has a couple of bear tales here and there, so I thought that would be a great way to start off with. Well, I like bears. <laughs> so, BT, uh, where did you grow up at? Um, for the most part, uh, in the country, outside of Nashville, Arkansas, I went to school at Nashville, Arkansas, from the sixth grade until I graduated. Lived between there and Murfreesboro, Arkansas. So you, you, uh, we're both Arkansans. We both were born here and right. and raised here, and uh, that's another reason when I was looking through it, some of the folks that I could talk to about this, and you, you were kind of at the top of the list because. Even though it's great, we have lots of transplants who provide a lot of stuff here for Arkansas. We, we consider them Arkansans after a certain amount of time. I thought it would be neat to start with somebody that, even though we were raised on different sides of the state, kind of grew up in similar type areas, small areas. With I grew up in the Ozarks in Clinton, outside of Clinton. And, uh, you know, you grew up down there in, in southwest Arkansas and in the uh, Washita's. And it's just kind of a different uh upbringing than what a lot of folks are used to outside of those two areas yeah you're, you're trying to read my upside down chicken scratch right. we got photography uh wanderlust bears interesting <laughs> encounters with people <laughs> spooky and ufo and dogs because every yeah everybody loves dogs oh, yeah they should <laughs> we don't deserve them all right. I don't deserve them. Part of the reason you're kicking off with this series is uh, the fact that I, I can't think of anyone that I personally know that has spent as much time out wandering around outside as you have. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a lifelong condition. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I, I'm from Bingen, Arkansas. Uh, and that's a little town that was founded by a German family named Wolf. And they named it after Bingen on the uh, uh, Rhine River in Germany. There was a little stream that ran through the countryside there called the Ozan. And that, so it was Bingen on the Ozan. Uh, and the name ultimately got pronounced Bingen. Uh, if you blink your eyes, you'll miss it. I don't think there's a sign there to see if you did have your eyes open. But I grew up on that creek with my friends and it was a pretty natural area. There were swimming holes up and down and we frequented those in the summertime and it was a waterfall up the stream and it was just a great place, a great place to grow up. So yeah, I took to the outdoors pretty soon in my life and I always loved it. Later in life I discovered national forests and big public lands, Washita National Forest. The Washita Mountains, and that, that was grand. And I kept coming back to it. With your time there around Benjamin, what would you say drew people there originally? Oh, farmland, clearing land. It was pretty rich, good land there. Kind of rocky, but uh, farmers, uh, community. Southern State College is where I went to school, and that was... Uh, an A&M, an agricultural school early on. And there were plans to build that at Benjamin. And uh, the Wolf family didn't want to sell the land to begin it, so it eventually got moved to Magnolia. 
Hmm. Might be a little different place if... Uh... Yeah, I think it would definitely have been a different place. There was a railroad that ran through Benjamin that went to Nashville and back, and a lot of, lot of things that were once there are gone now. It's, uh... You didn't ever play on the railroad tracks, did you? Whenever I got a chance, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Railroad tracks uh, seem to draw young people oh, for yeah, some put reason. A, put a penny down and watch it get flattened. One of my earliest memories. So uh, when I was small, uh, me and my mom lived in Conway. And we had a, a lady that lived there beside us. Her name was Ruthel. And uh, she was old when I was little. And so she, she has passed on now, but... Uh, I remember walking with her to her. She had a little salon downtown and uh, walking with her to her little salon and you cross the railroad tracks and she left. I think it was a quarter uh, on that railroad track. And I, I can remember that, seeing that quarter on the way home, you know, there that had been squished. Uh, one yeah. of my earliest memories. Yeah, flatten it out pretty good. Won't it? Yeah, well, yeah, well. Um, yeah, the railroad in Benjamin wasn't that big or often traveled. But it was an agricultural community. And their old plots of the original town they had planned out. It, it never grew as they thought it might. <clears throat> and the, there, were, uh, there was a little square there in the center of the community with a general store and a newspaper. And I guess what you'd call a pharmacy, a drugstore, and a newspaper called the Benjamin Traveler. Uh, and that was before my time, but the town was supposed to grow outward from that, and uh, never did. There weren't streets and streets crisscrossing each other. And one of the Wolf family at one point thought that he would dam the Ozan Creek and make a swimming reservoir behind it, or a little a water reservoir, a lake. Um, and it lasted, I can't remember how long, before a flood came and just obliterated it, and it was concrete. And I remember all my life finding pieces of that dam up and down the creek, downstream from where they built it. Nature doesn't respect our uh, meddlings very much. <laughs> you better be ready uh, if, you, <laughs> if you build a dam to, <laughs> to do it right. Yeah. Or nature will take it out. That's true. Univer universal solvent. Yeah. <laughs> it will keep going until it wins. It's heavy and it erodes things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when you started your wanderings, uh, where was your favorite place early on in your life? Let's see. When I was older, well, I wasn't that old. My my parents went to Shady Lake one time in the Washita Mountains, and above that there was a fire tower called Tall Peak. Okay. And I never will forget going up there uh, and seeing those mountains for the first time and seeing that landscape from the Tall Peak Tower. And at the time, there was a man who worked in the tower. And he had the table uh, with the bearing instruments, and he coordinated his instruments with other fire towers off to the south, southwest, southeast, and working together. If they saw smoke rise anywhere, they could pinpoint it and, and communicate outward and locate fire officials. Hmm. And that man must have had one of the loneliest jobs in the world because when he wasn't up there in that fire tower, he was living in a little quarters, a one-room quarters with a wood stove beneath it you know, during the night and sleeping. I wonder who, did he work for the state or was that a federal I think position? It was probably for the Forest Service. Forest Service. That, yeah. 
and the fire towers. They may have coordinated with other agencies, but that was a Civilian Conservation Corps built tower. Hmm. And there were two peach trees in front of it when I was a kid. And those, as far as I know, are still there. Hmm. They've been, <laughs> they, they don't have peaches anymore, but they've lasted a long time. It's, are those fire towers still there or have they been? The Tall Peak Tower is. There was another one they were rebuilding down there. I can't remember exactly where it was. But yeah, it is. It's historic. And they're trying to keep it in decent shape. And later on in life, I, we returned. When I was in college, the the Washtenaw Mountains became a thing. So instead of a, a fraternity, I was... Um, going with my friends on weekends away from Magnolia, you know, and we were making trips up into the Washtenaw Mountains. We had some climbing rope, some carabiners, and we were rappelling and climbing, having a good time. And back then, it was pretty easy to have a good time. We slept on the ground a lot, and maybe a flimsy sleeping bag, and used climbing rope for a pillow. I did, anyway. And uh, Kind of drift off at night and wake up in the morning, and it was, it was great. I feel a little spoiled then. I, I've got a tent and a, a cot, but I'll be staying in the night. Well, so. I had a tent. I usually just left it <laughs> and then slept on the ground because that was more fun. If it turned it off cold, I would. I'd wish I had my tent. I was sitting there uh, reading before you called me and said you were ready for me to come over and. I was thinking, man, it's already starting to feel a little bit chilly. It may be chilly tonight. So. Yeah, it will be. <laughs> yeah. I, I got a good blanket. So. Yeah, around 50. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty chilly, campy weather. People yeah. don't think about it, but uh, you, you get down below that 60s, and in the evening time, it, it starts getting chilly. So what all kinds of stuff? You're out with your UAM college buddies. What kinds of stuff did y'all run into there in, in that part of the world, uh, well, we uh, tended to center on Camp Albert Pike. And if anybody knows anything about Camp Albert Pike, it got a bad reputation when a perfect storm hit that area and flooded and, and killed a lot of people. Uh, I don't think we did it on purpose, but whenever we camped there, we went up a little uh, one of the ridges away from Camp Albert Pike called uh, Leader. They call it Leader Mountain and camped up there way above the river. That's where I slept with the rope under my head for a pillow. Just whatever, you know, struck our fancy, we would go up to Little Missouri Falls and visit there, hike around the countryside. That was fun. You're doing it with your friends, and you came up there to have a good time, and not much else happened but having a good time. We explored. We went bushwhacking up ridges. There's another mountain south of Camp Albert Pike called Pryor Mountain. Uh, and we named it Baldy because there was an eastern exposure where there were no trees growing. It was just rock. We called it Baldy. And, um, friends especially began to camp up there more. But we would make the climb up the side of Baldy. And it was pretty steep. Um, and that was always a blast. Come back down. You could see all of Albert Pike, the little general store there in the distance. And, yeah, just another adventure. Yeah, Albert Pike has become kind of infamous uh, because of that tragedy that happened there. But it is a beautiful part of the state. Exceptionally beautiful. The Missouri River runs through, and there's always been a swimming hole there, a washed-out deep place. And 
popular place to go to this day for people to go swimming there. I think the campground's officially closed, but uh, yeah, people still go there. There's a winding stair down the river, pretty area. Yeah, but one thing led to another. By the time I was uh, older and teaching, a friend of mine had gotten involved. He, he wanted to be a forester, but he didn't. He never went that way. But he made friends in the Forest Service. And there was a man named Tom Ferguson. He eventually became uh, the person in charge of all the congressionally designated wilderness areas in Arkansas. But his main focus was just there in the Shady Lake area uh, above that. Uh, the first wilderness area in the state, I believe, called Caney Creek. And it's still considered by many to be the crown jewel. Uh, and a creek runs through it. And it, it's an exceptionally beautiful area. And it's just north of the Tall Peak and the old tower spot. And my friend, uh, you know, I was doing triathlons when I was in my 30s. And he thought, you know, you want some exercise, you know, come with us. Okay. No big deal. And Tom Ferguson would lead us into the either the Caney Creek Trail or the Buckeye Trail, which is north and veers southward to the west and runs into the Caney Creek Trail to clear trees. Mm. <laughs> and that involved cutting trees off trails. In wilderness areas, cutting trees off trails cannot be done by any machine. Uh, it has to be done by hand, and that means a cross-cut saw. And Tom Ferguson came from a, a line of timbermen, and he had several cross-cut saws. One belonged to his grandfather, and he learned how to sharpen it, turn the tines out just so each way, and sharpen each tine where it would make a good curve and take wood out when you moved it. And he took the handles off, and he bowed it over his pack, and I can s still see his tall self going down the trail with that cross-cut saw bowed over his pack, leading the way until there's a tree. It might be a two or three foot diameter pine. It might be a big white oak, mm. very hard wood. Mm -hmm. And the bad thing about fallen trees is to cut them, <laughs> you have to undercut. You, you can't work the saw on top and go down. You have to start at the bottom at some point and move upward. And I found out really quickly on my triathlon and endurance training didn't matter much after you use that saw for a while keeping pressure up against gravity and taking a curve out of it 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 uh, tom was amazing he was in good shape for doing that and i found out how quickly it can just wear you out destroy you yeah. we did that we carried come-alongs to move trees that those are heavy you know commercial come-alongs and saws and axes uh, sometimes the time comes to take an axe to a tree to get it out of the way, just any way you can, but just getting trees off trails primarily. So what was the purpose? I think a lot of people probably don't know about those rules where you're not using uh, the motorized stuff in those areas. So talk a little bit about that. Well, it originated with the idea of wilderness itself. It, the idea of wilderness, and I don't have all my facts behind me, but it was a place that was supposed to be, quote, untrammeled by man. So if you're working in a wilderness area, you don't want chainsaw noises going at any time. Um, it's just a natural place. And so I don't know who decided it would be illegal to use chainsaws, but they did. And so if you're out there in that quiet place, you'll never be disturbed too much by the sound of an internal combustion engine unless you're near a forest road. 
Rainbow needs something. Rainbow's always trying to make a nest. <clears throat> Scratching on the floor. <laughs> this floor don't make a very good nest, Rainbow. Does it? Does it? She said, y'all are just yakking and nobody's paying attention to me. To get volunteers for the Forest Service, they used to give them a fancy name. They called them a wilderness ranger. And my, I have a friend named John Weston. He was a wilderness ranger. And he said, you ought to do this too. You can be a wilderness ranger. I said, oh, that sounds good. A ranger. Mm. Yeah. And so I did that with John and Tom a while, on and off. And I eventually moved to Conway. I was teaching high school at the time. And still went off sometimes and worked Caney Creek with Tom Ferguson. Uh, and he said, there's a wilderness area that was established pretty recently, you know, not far from you called the Flatside Wilderness. It's named after the Flatside Pinnacle on the eastern border. And, you know, you can go in there and do whatever you want to. You don't have to cut trees. I mean, you need help for that. With a cross-cut saw, you're a, a handle on one end and you basically pull it's like a big lap pull, <laughs> and then the other fellow pulls, and it's just a pulling back and forth. If you push, you run into trouble because it kind of bows the saw and stops it, so you pull, 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 pull. And what I did in the flat side mostly was just rehabilitate campsites, places where people had built fire rings, not, not to have them clutter the whole trail. And Tom said, oh, you can leave one in this area, leave one in this area, you know, just get rid of the ones in between. That's mainly what I did, and it was just a good excuse to be out there in, in the wild again. Um, working, I guess you'd say, and hiking mostly. And I came into the possession of a dog when we lived in Conway eventually uh, called Sid. Sid was half Labrador and half Pitbull. And when Sid grew older, uh, we used to come to Pettyjean State Park and hike with him when he was an older pup, and he loved it. He would jump in Cedar Creek and run around and splash and do a happy dance. And so I decided I'd start taking Sid out with me into the wilderness. And a lot of fun was had from that era. <laughs> we, we would hike, you know, to certain points. And I, the first time we ever did it, uh, I had hiked the Washita Trail in sections to the Flatside Pinnacle. The first time I ever stood there, it was one of those days where we call it the white void. It was just a fog and, and wind coming out of the west, and all you could see was white. And the second time I went with Sid, it was just one of the most beautiful scenes in the state. It still is, looking westward. You know, I said, Sid, buddy, we're going to hike across there today. And I... Uh, Prearranged with my wife to pick us up that evening on another forest road. It seemed like any time my wife was involved with the flat side wilderness, I got in trouble. <laughs> because the first time, Sid and I hiked uh, 10 and a half miles across, glorious, you know, glorious day uh, in the later morning, into the evening. And my wife had a map and she knew where to go down Highway 7, and there's a little creek called Sugar Creek. And I can't remember the number of the forest road, but you turn right at Sugar Creek and go over and then get onto a bigger forest road and it comes down to a certain place. And I said, I'll just meet you right here on the map. Well, Debbie got down there, my wife, and turned off on this forest road. And she was in a little, like a Toyota Corolla. 
and <laughs> noticed immediately she was going up some really steep hills and noticed also that there was grass growing in the middle of the road because it was a seldom traveled road. And as she was going up one of those steep hills, her car died. And she got kind of mad about the whole thing because I hadn't warned her. I, I didn't know about that forest road really too much myself. Um, so Sid and I were standing out there. We'd finished the hike. We were at the pickup spot, and it was quiet. And we heard a car horn off in the distance. Honk, honk. <laughs> What is that? And Sid growled, you know, that's, that's unusual. He, you know, who would be out here blowing your horn in the in the, the national forest? And a few about ten minutes later, the car lights came into view, and Debbie stopped. She saw us on the side. And, oh, it's Debbie, good. Uh, <laughs> and she was really mad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I said, hi. We know what? <laughs> what? And she proceeded to tell me about all the things that had happened, her car dying and praying, and it started again, and she didn't know if she would ever get out of there. And so I told her how to get back to where my car was in the shuttle, and it was fine after that. She got over it. <laughs> that was the first trip across the flat side, and from there, under... The, the U.S. Forest Service guidance. I got I got different supervisors, but I, I spent a lot of time with Sid, just going out there. I'd rehab campsites and on Brown Creek and here and there, and we just have a good time. Hmm. And that's where you ask about the bear. Oh yeah, that that that's um, one of the fun parts about this conversation is that <laughs> I knew coming into it that uh, we would have a bear story. Well, in wilderness and areas, they're bears. There's bears. And, you know, I never expected to see one because they're pretty smart creatures and they have really good noses and they can smell you coming. And But on this one day, Sid and I were traveling over a little knoll and uh, didn't have him on the leash at a time. I may get in trouble for this, but... He ran over and down, and a little bear cub went right up a tree. And I knew that his uh, little cub's mother wouldn't be too far away. And another little bear cub went up a hill. <laughs> yeah. And I went, oh. <laughs> oh. You know, and I called Sid, and Sid came back to me looking over his shoulder all the way. And I, I don't know whether he was looking at the mama bear or not. But I got him leashed, and we started to back up slowly, and she stuck her head over the hill and looked at us. This was in May, and I'm not a very big guy. I'm kind of skinny looking. And I think she looked at me in cargo pants, and I don't know, a pair of Chaco sandals, and just looked like at me like, you pitiful thing. I'm not even going to mess with you. Uh, so, <laughs> good. <laughs> Sid and I backed up. And I realized it might take her some time, especially to get the little cub down from the tree and go along with her. So we just called off our uh, trip to the Crystal Prong that day. And that's a really pretty spot about two miles in. If you go from east to west on the, the flat side wilderness, the Washita Trail, you come to the Crystal Prong. And the first time Sid and I ever went through on that fateful day when my wife picked me up, I remember seeing mallard ducks fly off the prong and uh, just exceptionally beautiful place. Any other times you've run across a bear while you've been out in uh, any of these wilderness spots? Not that close. Uh, if you drive those forest roads often enough, you might see one run across the road in front of you, but uh, not 
not seen one not 30 feet away like that. It made me a little uneasy. Mama bears are individuals. Some of them are very overprotective. Others are not so much. That apparently she was didn't feel too threatened by me. So there's actually a uh, pretty unusual story in the news just the other day about uh, somebody being killed by a black bear. Yeah, uh, but that is a very unusual thing, though. Especially in Arkansas, if you go to more northern states where bears get hungry, they yeah. will hunt anything. If they get desperate, and that includes people. It, it was definitely north of us. I can't remember what yeah. state it was, but it was north of us. Might have been Colorado, but I'm, I'm not positive. Yeah, our bears that. around here pretty well fed. Don't tend to bother people too much. One thing a lot of people don't realize is uh, we have a lot of bears here in Arkansas. Yeah. I haven't spoken to a, a bear biologist from the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission in years. I used to know one that's another man I haven't spoken with, but somewhere upwards of four and a half thousand population statewide, maybe more than that. There's a whole story there about reintroduction during the 60s and 70s and bringing bears back into the state because they'd been uh, pretty much decimated, except one little area in eastern Arkansas. You mentioned oil trough uh-huh. in northeast Arkansas, yeah. and that was one one thing that decimated them. Mm-hmm. Bears were just slaughtered and sold wholesale for their fat to be rendered into oil. At a big clip. Yeah, big clip. It, uh, there are pictures that you can find from that time period where uh, you know it'll look like a levee behind guys, and it's it's a mountain of bears. Yeah, um, especially for a state known as the Bear State, I think they. Estimate somewhere we got down to where there were 10 bears, 10 to 50 bears left right around there. What I've heard, 40, 40 or 50. 40 maybe. or 50? Yeah. Okay. That not, was their estimate, maybe 10. Not many. Know. Not many. And they reintroduced them from uh, northern states, Manitoba, Canada, brought them back because this was the bear state. They wanted it to be the bear state again, I suppose. And it is good habitat for them, Washita and the Ozark Ranges. And, the National Forest here, good place for bears. I know growing up there around Clinton, uh, you know, we, we saw bears from time to time. Yeah. And uh, the only problems there ever were from it was when somebody would get to uh, feed them donuts, you know, that kind of stuff. And, uh, don't feed the bears. Don't feed the bears. Oh, Rainbow. You like a head scratch, don't you? <laughs> yes, she does. Second time you're, you've gotten yourself in trouble. With my wife. Mm-hmm. Was, again, the flat side wilderness, the Washita Trail, I asked her if she'd like to hike it with Sid and me. And, and she said, yeah, how far is it? I said, oh, about 10 miles. 10 miles. Okay, I think I can do that. You know, it's, it's, it's not too steep. No, not too bad. So we set off that day and... Everything was fine until we got to the crystal prong, and the water was up pretty high. That creek down there uh, can rise quickly. It sits down between those ridges, those Washita ridges, and gains water, a lot like Albert Pike, in a way. <clears throat> it can flood and wreck things. Uh, they, the Forest Service put a footbridge in there before it was a wilderness area, and it took that out. It was concreted on the top of rocks, a big iron beam. Uh, and it was at the bottom of the pool on the crystal prong for a long time. It must still be there. 
But we got to that place, and I said, well, the only way we're going to be able to cross here, I don't think hopping across the rocks is an option. So we're going to pull our pants up above our knees and wave. I said, just, I'll go first. And if you want to hold my hand, I'll try and keep you steady. So, and you know, the water, it was January, and there was snow on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) And the water was very cold. And she noticed that immediately. She said, this this will freeze my feet. I said, no, it'll be all right. You just, you know, come on and just kind of shuffle along and feel the bottom. And I got nearly all the way across, and I was holding her hand, and she fell and got wet. As I remember it, kind of up to the waist. Mm. Uh, she says it was up to her shoulders, as she remembers it. But <laughs> we got on the other side, you know, sorry. Uh you always get me into these situations. <laughs> I said, well, here, we'll, we'll get you a, a jacket on. I think it'll stay warm enough if you keep hiking. So we went up a ridge, and, you know, we were doing fine again. And she did pretty well on the hike that day and took pictures along the way. She got in a good mood again, and we got to mile 10 on the mile marker. She said, where's the road? I said, well, it must be a little ways ahead, you know, these trails aren't always exact mileages. It might be more like 10 and a half miles. And to me, that's not a big deal. You know, if it's 12 miles, somebody says it's 10, okay, I'll hike two more. But she's a lady who likes facts and figures and exactness. And she started to get mad again. (laughs) (laughs) Really mad. (laughs) No, no, you said 10 miles. I said, well, about 10 miles. Anyway, from there on, it was kind of like, okay, uh, let's just put one foot in front of the other <laughs> and keep going. And, and we did make it out. Yeah, and there were trees across the trail we had to climb over, and the usual, the usual things. And but she gets over being mad pretty quick, and she would probably tell that a lot different than I did. But that's kind of what happened. And I always get in trouble, even when I was in college for. Uh, we called it a honeymoon. My wife and I. Uh, we went from Magnolia to Shady Lake, and we spent the night there in a tent with zipped together sleeping bags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we went to uh, Albert Pike the next day. You know, I said, "Hey, you need to climb Prior Mountain." That was so cool, and it's <laughs> and she wound up <laughs> beneath me on the steep parts. You know, kind of hanging by my belt, and we did. We made it. We summited. She backs her ears and does it, but she doesn't always like it. <laughs> and I was back at Magnolia when we started the semester uh, telling my English teacher about that, Miss Forgy. And she said, you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> I said, well, <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> I thought we had a pretty good time. <laughs> oh, we. Well, you know, they, they there's kind of that cliche saying that opposites attract, and if your wife is very exact and wants exact things. I would say yeah. probably <laughs> definitely opposites in track because yeah. I don't know that I've ever known you to be exact on just about anything. No, not too much. <laughs> Close. Close is good. So I, I think something that, uh, you know, we're talking about the outdoors and you can't, you can't talk about Arkansas and not talk about the outdoors. I mean, that's, that's, that's one of our, biggest selling points as a state is all of our beautiful outdoors. Would you say that this wandering that you've done is something that's been healthy for you? Is it something that oh, yeah, has definitely. been a... Yeah, I've uh, 
been out of breath a lot of times getting my cardio just out of necessity to get where I needed to be and never minded it. Uh, I've been a marathoner and I've done triathlons and getting weary and worn out, you know, and beat down from exercise is, uh, seems like a good thing. That's what we're made to do. Our, our ancestors had to, you know, hunting, tracking, moving from one place to another. Uh, that it involves being human and not staying in one place and <clears throat> being sedentary for too long. Something you said there, it's always easy to point out the kind of the superficial aspects of healthy, you know, yeah, you're getting exercise, yeah, your cardiovascular system is going to be a lot better, you're getting that sunshine, but I think you're right. I think even though we live in these modern houses with air conditioner and all that stuff, there's still a part of us that needs that time outside. Yeah, I think so. I, nearly everybody does, whether they know it or not. You know, a lot of people who have urban jobs and work in offices are thrilled to get out and, and ride bikes and run and experience nature. You know, we, we're we at Pageing State Park right now. You, you've worked here before, working here, worked here nearly 16 years. And see that on a daily basis, especially people who come from areas, Fort Worth, Dallas, Houston, and just don't have exposure to this at all. And all of a sudden they're here and it's, you can see it in their eyes. They're experiencing something that you might take for granted a little bit if you're here all the time, even though it's still special to be here every day. It's been quite a while since I've been up here and uh, stopped off at the gravesite on the way in. And it's amazing to me, you know, there's a lot of places that I've been a bunch of times that maybe you do kind of grow accustomed to seeing that or you do grow but man, that that overlook there, Stouts Point, you just you don't grow accustomed no, to that. It doesn't get old. <laughs> it's, it's a special spot. In the canyons and the view behind Mather Lodge, the overlooks, the canyon walls, the waterfall—it's all special. Great place to be. This uh, this place has changed my mind before. <clears throat> I thought about moving and doing other things and. Standing behind Mather Lodge, looking down the lower canyon and see Mount Magazine in the distance, you just kind of have an epiphany. I can't leave here <laughs> until somebody makes me leave here. <laughs> <laughs> Outdoors, yep. Hiking especially, yep. It's just two feet trail. Uh, and for Sid and me, it was just like having some of the most peaceful, best times in my life out there with him. It's away from traffic, away from people something soaks into you that it's hard to define or it may not be definable. I definitely think people are not even comfortable with themselves anymore. They're not, you know, uh, a, a lot of folks, I think if you uh, turned off the radio and turned off the car noise and uh, put them somewhere where their cell phone couldn't ding, they're almost not comfortable with themselves. And I think that's when we're talking about health and healthiness and all of that, I think to find a spot, where you can turn everything off and just be with yourself for a little bit and hear yourself. I think that's definitely something that's healthy and, and maybe something as a society that we're missing right now. I think so largely. Not not just in this country, but you know, worldwide. There's a lot going on. It's a busy, busy place all the time. I know it was a 
about a three hour drive down here for me. And, you know, I spent quite a bit of time just thinking on the way down here, thinking about this conversation we were going to have. And, but you know, there was road noise. We had the radio on, uh, had to watch traffic, had to do all that. You, you're not really ever, if you know, if you've got all of that stuff going on, you're not really alone with your thoughts to think about anything ever really. What a mo- modern phenomenon. I mean, if you're thinking about in the blink of an eye, 150 years ago, you didn't have that problem. No. Automobiles are pretty new, pretty new development. All of the, dis- almost all of the distractions that we yeah, have are... Bears aren't dangerous. Cars are dangerous. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> you know me, uh, I'm as fond of snake education as you are yeah. bear education. And it's always astonishes me when you give them a list of stuff, say like a rattlesnake, a ladder, a car... You know, which one of these is most likely to kill you? Yeah. And it's not the rattlesnake. <laughs> not the rattlesnake. I think oh. if you look at stuff, uh, you know, rattlesnake deaths is below, right below, like, uh, vending machines falling on people. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, they give you fair warning. They do. They do. I was watching True Grit the other night. You know, Maddie Ross gets knocked down in the hole with the rattlesnake. And what does she do? She starts whacking at it with a stick. <laughs> Just be still. Yeah. Be all right. I, I do everything I can to avoid falling into snake pits with uh, <laughs> bunches of rattlesnakes. Me but, too. man, if I do, uh, I'm not going to start whacking any rattlesnakes. Uh, I'm going to leave them alone. I'm probably an outlier. I really enjoy the, the new True Grit. Yeah, uh, probably more than the old one, and not because the old one wasn't a good movie, but because the new one follows the book so much better. Yeah, it does. And Maddie's not nearly. And as they whiny. didn't shoot it in Colorado and call that Dardanelle and Yell County. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we could uh, we could see Dardanelle from here, and it don't look like that, does it? <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, I saw that movie. I said, did, "Did Dardanelle really used to look like that? Boy, those mountains are worn down a lot." <laughs> Oh, me. Yeah. Mount Nebo, (laughs) the shadow of its former self. (laughs) I've learned to approach doing things with Debbie with caution and make sure she can do them. She probably appreciates that. Yeah, we we have more fun that way. (laughs) I would think by this point, y'all have been married long enough that... uh, she can probably tell within the first few sentences of <laughs> telling her something that, uh, yeah. yeah, no, not doing that. She doesn't have to say anything. She just gives me that look. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've, we've talked about bears and we're going to talk, we're talking about things that are more dangerous. I know with as much time as you spent out there, you had to have run into some two-legged stories, some folks wandering around there that... Maybe some weird encounters. Not that many. In fact, I never met many people at all, especially in the wilderness area. <clears throat> it was a rare thing to run into anyone, and if you did, they were usually hiking. Nice folks. There was one guy one time. I can't remember his name. He'd been out there for months. He was just getting away from people. And he had run out of food, and we were going down... One of the first draws where water runs into the flat side. And before I knew it, uh, we had just run right up on him. And Sid was at his knees, and he was going, whoa. You know, because Sid looked kind of scary. He was half pit bull, and he was big. 
and like a 23-inch neck. <laughs> and I said, he's finding Archie. He loves people. And this guy had a beard down to his belt in the front. And uh, I started talking with him. He said, yeah, he'd been out here, and he'd, he'd gotten scared on some nights because storms had moved through, and he hunkered behind a rock. And he said, I've pretty much been living on these uh, tree huckleberries <laughs> for mm. several days. I said, that's... Not a very good diet, you know, for moving around and hiking. Uh, I said, I tell you what, the next shelter, uh, if you're headed there, I'll come back tomorrow and I'll leave some stuff for you, some food. The stuff you can pack with, dry food, powdered potatoes are not very expensive. And I'll leave you a can of stew or something so you can cook it there at the shelter. And he said, you know, okay. Like, you didn't think I would do that. I did. And I happened through a month later and stopped at that shelter and had written in the shelter journal, you know, this crazy guy left me food here. You know, bless him. <laughs> I can stay out here longer. And the Forest Service was asking me about him. You know, how long does he say he'd been out there? I thought, oh, you know, a month or more, maybe two months. Well, next time you see him, you tell him he's come in. He's not supposed to be out there that long. I said, sure, I'll tell him. <laughs> you never run across him again, did you? Never. No. Yeah. Ran across another guy who hunted down there with a crossbow. I used to see signs of him and talked with him a few times, told him to try and camp further from the creek, you know, the typical Forest Service thing. But he was uh, ex-Desert Storm, and he was trying to get away from people. It had enough, and he was just out there trying to get some sanity back, maybe. Hmm. But never met any anyone with malice uh, out there. You might on a forest road at night because a lot of people go out on those back roads and drink too much. But I never encountered anyone uh, that was inhospitable to me. Drinking on forest roads. Yeah. <laughs> you saying you may have picked a beer can or two up. Uh... Beer and whiskey bottles and you name it. <laughs> I bet some top shelf whiskey out there too. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> not. I know there are other groups who come in and clean up the forest roads and keep them pretty tidy, and we appreciate those people. Glad for them. I guess rock stacking hadn't become a thing yet when you were. Uh, you see it every once really? in a while. Really, Karens. It wasn't a big thing. Get a lot of that now. Yeah, we. I kicked a rock sack down behind my campsite tonight. I was setting my camp up, and I'm in uh, Site 44. And it's got the creek running behind it. You know, since they're not natural, we usually take them down. There's there's some down on the hike bike trail here. I need to move over, knock them down. Mm-mm. I scatter them every time I see I them. I guess so. it's fun just to see if you can make that many rocks balance one on top of the other. I think it's hubris. They want to leave something behind that shows I was here. <laughs> I think that's what it is. I think that's what most people are trying to do. That set graffiti may work the same way. It's uh, this need that, that people have to leave something there that says, hey, I was here. I don't know how much storytelling I've done. I just, well, let's... We're just here to talk. I'll, I'll let the editing room uh, figure the stories out. So that's uh, the beauty of it. It's <laughs> you digging that whole rainbow? 
I'm afraid it's going to wear you out before you yeah, wear it out. She does that all the time. <laughs> Our new dog, he, uh, Odin. Odin. He's 62 pounds now. And I guess he turned nine months old yesterday. I went out in the yard the other day, and at some point he had dug a hole. And it's probably maybe a fourth of the size of this table and up to my knee. I go, man, when have we left you outside long enough for you to dig a hole that size? Dogs do that. They can dig now. She spent a lot of nights out under the stars there and those places. Something that's, I guess you could say pop culture right now. It sounds weird to hear me saying the word pop culture. Lots of stuff about UFOs and that kind of stuff. Did you ever see anything like that that you couldn't explain? No. No, not a thing. <laughs> I hadn't either. <laughs> I, I want to believe and I, I, I want to, but. Yeah, I'd like to see know. a UFO. Yeah. I wish they'd come down and make me smarter or something. <laughs> <laughs> they got their work cut out for them if they're gonna make us smarter. Yeah, that's that's me. I, I've worked with some folks who uh, could talk to ghosts. Never seen one of those either. I hadn't either. I spend. I, I'd, I'd love to see a ghost too. You yeah. know, I wish my grandfather would come back oh, and man. say, "Go to the Dagobah system yeah. or yeah. something." But never, that has never happened. Or let him sit down here and he could probably tell us some real stories. Yeah, he sure could. <laughs> and he told me some back when he was living. <laughs> I guess that's part of. The reason that I kind of started this is I look back at all the folks throughout my life that I've heard tell stories and thought, you know, if we could start recording some of this stuff, uh, and if I can get out of the way long enough for people to talk, uh, it'd be neat to, to have these stories from Arkansas, these personal, relatable stories, not, you know, some big national news story or not that that stuff's not important, but so are these very human day-to-day. -day. Me and my dog were out walking in the national forest and ran into black bears. That that stuff's important, too. Yeah. It's good to know it happens sometimes, especially <laughs> if the bears are nice. <laughs> yeah, you definitely hear about it if the bear's not nice, right. don't you? That's uh, Yeah, you never hear about the nice bears. <laughs> We can make a sign had that on it. Uh, we want to hear more nice bear stories. What's the life expectancy of a bear? 30, 35 years. Those cubs you saw that day could still be running yeah, around out there. It could be. You know, there was one in the park here once. About a few years uh -huh. ago. Yeah, I was going to see if you were going to say 12 because I've heard you say 12 years for the last five years, six years now. So, so going on 18 years ago. Oh, me. Time flies. Yes, it does. We, we had the Janetta's one year birthday party right before we left. And now she's calling on the phone. I remember that. Uh, <laughs> oh, hey, Mr. BT. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> it's, it's unreal. 
Yeah, see now you were you were supposed to make up some big ghost story so that I could capture all the the ghost people that wanna wanna hear about paranormal stuff. I, I, you know, I'd like to, but I've just never experienced a ghost. I, I you know me. Uh, now I haven't spent a whole lot of nights out under the stars, but I've spent a lot of nights in a pickup truck until way late in the night, chasing storms and taking lightning photos and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. I still haven't seen anything that I can't explain. So, but maybe who knows? I may sit out there in the campsite tonight, get abducted by an alien, <laughs> or Bigfoot might yeah. come along and pass through. I hope if he does, he'll sit down and talk for a little while. Yeah. I, you know, just take me a second to get this recording stuff out and uh, just have a long conversation. See what he thinks about everything. I hear he's a man of few words, but I don't. <laughs> You might be able to get something out of him. I don't know. Now, when I started talking about doing this podcast series, and, you know, my, my wife, kind of like your wife, is used to me. Okay. <laughs> but I had somebody ask, what, what, what in the world do you want to do this for? I won't say I'm a technophobe, but you know me. I punch on computers and hammer the keyboards and... And, and do all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm definitely not technologically blessed. But I just figured if the worst thing that comes out of it is that someday my kids or my grandkids or somebody gets to hear me talk with some folks about some of the cool stuff that's happened here, and it's worth it. That's worth something. Yeah, keep and those records. I always wished I'd done that with my great-grandfather, grandfather. And my dad, you know, until very recently, he used to talk to me, and I never recorded it. It just seemed odd to do at the time, but I wished I had. <laughs> Pretty nifty uh, being able to just record somebody, just sit down. And... Yeah, I like your setup here, too. You know, I, <clears throat> I looked, I gave myself a budget. That's an app. Yeah, it's just a just a basic free recording app. Hmm. I'm reading these articles about these dork faces that have a thousand dollars worth of podcasting equipment and condenser mics, and I'm like, "Hey, how am I going to go talk to somebody and lug all this stuff in?" You saw how long it took me to put this together. You know, right. Five minutes, and there's probably somebody going to be screaming at home, going, "Well, yeah, but your audio's horrible." It's not about that. It just has to be passable. And I'm sure there'll be some kinks and I'll, you know, figure some stuff out here and there. But for being able to go talk to somebody face to face and as awkward as it can be trying to do an interview with somebody or, or a conversation with somebody that they know is being recorded, it's five times more awkward trying to do it through Zoom or something like that. It, it feels so artificial. You're nodding your head, BT. You got to use words. Yes, I'm just thinking. Yeah, I'd, I'd like a nice uh, video, like Adobe Premiere or something mm -hmm. that I've never you know, thought about. I thought about it, but and that's you know a pretty good investment. I'm trying to think. I've got one of the maybe maybe it's Adobe to oh. Uh, Edit photos, lightning photos, but Light I think it's room. one of the cheap. Yeah, yeah. something. Yeah. Something that works really well. They, they do. It's a. I think what 
pay ninety nine dollars. The for things it. that come with computers have some pretty impressive. They're not all encompassing, but they have some pretty impressive, uh, like dark room type things. You can put filters on them and lighten and darken and contrast and sharpen. I, I haven't. Gosh, I haven't done even a lightning photo in probably two years. And mm-hmm. You know how it is with when you got little kids. And <laughs> yeah, I remember we roomed together up at Mount Magazine one year, and you were up at one o'clock in the morning with your camera sticking out the window. Yeah. I, you know what? I've never gotten a good lightning photo from uh, Mount Magazine. Yeah. This spot right here served me pretty well. Yeah. So. Out across the river valley. Mm-hmm. I went out the the few times that I have gone uh, lightning hunting in the Delta. I've had to go find a big field where you got that flat going through there. But even then, once you get in the fall, that corn starts getting high. It's hard to find a good elevated spot to look out across a vast countryside. Primo. I'm you sure did some pretty. You've done some good ones up in northeast Arkansas, though. Good couple. Some, yeah. Just don't compare, though. We got that dynamic of this being able to be, you know, especially with some of those lower hanging storms. They're right on top of you when they go through there. I had one night out there on the point where we had 80, 85 mile an hour winds. <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't with you that night. I, I, I was kind of wish I wasn't with me that night. <laughs> I'm just being honest. It was, you uh, told me your truck was bucking around pretty it good. Was. That was a unusual feeling. <laughs> yeah. Like how much stronger can it get? Yeah. And how much more can it do to lift my truck off the ground and throw me <laughs> down into the river valley? <laughs> that would be a wild ride for a few seconds. Sure would. And uh, that was something. You know, we were out of electricity for, gosh, four or five days after that. It had done so much damage. All right, well, we're wrapping up here with BT Jones. Glad to have interviewed you, BT. You're kind of my guinea pig, and uh, thanks for being on. Oh, yeah, well, it's nice to reminisce a little. I don't know how many stories I have to tell, but uh, kind of good to talk about old times. And happy to do it. Thanks, thanks for giving me the opportunity. Mm-hmm.